Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? Hello, Darren. I'm very good. How are you today? <laughs> I like that I like that you ramped yourself up. I could see you taking a speed run at the mic. I appreciate it. <laughs> I was like, gotta match that energy, Darren. I, <laughs> right can, I can never do that. It's just my voice doesn't kind of... And um... <laughs> itself to... Yeah. Um, but yes, so taking a break from a format that will define the podcast last week and next week, this week we are actually discussing a movie that is on the top 250 movies of all time. That is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So we're in week three of our Indiana summer, marking late August by celebrating uh, Steven Spielberg's quadrilogy of Indiana Jones films. And joining us as ever for the series, our special guest co-host, the wonderful Tony Black. How are you, Tony? You call this a podcast? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and we shave, have a very shave us. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a very very special guest uh, joining us for this. Joining at immensely short notice, uh, unprofessionally short notice on my part. Uh, I was talking to her. Uh, we had a guest scheduled for this who dropped out. I was talking to her on an unrelated subject last night. I mentioned we were doing this. Asked her if she would be interested in joining us. She very generously said yes. The wonderful Dee Malumbi from Entertainment.ie. Thank you so much, Dee. Really appreciate it. No worries at all. All right, then. So what we normally do when we do this podcast is we ask kind of the guests. We start off, we just ask your memories of of Indiana Jones. Because Indiana Jones is, I think, for our generation, perhaps a touchstone. Do you remember the first Indiana Jones movie you saw? Do you remember how you saw them? And what's your general feeling with regards to the four films as a whole or the trilogy, if that's your preference? Is this me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This is is again why um, I don't know. Uh, so basically I've only until last night when we put on Last Crusade, cause I was like, I'm doing a podcast about this in the morning, probably should watch the movie for the first time. Um, <laughs> I've actually only seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the Ooh. reason for that is we find it really boring. I'm sorry. This is, <laughs> is going to be don't... really embarrassing, don't... but... Don't apologize. You ha- you have a a partner on this. Like this, I'm actually really glad about this because one of the big things on this podcast has been whenever I organize a season of things that I think are going to be fun, I inevitably go. So Andrew, what do you think about this? It's like we're it's doing like we're fir- doing four the first we're doing week four weeks of, of this of like fourteen months of Scorsese movies. You say so, Andrew. What do you, do you do? You like Scorsese movies? It's like. Uh, some not really. <laughs> it's like it's okay because we're only doing three months of them, um, and so we we had a similar experience with Raiders, where it's like, so Andrew Raiders, what do you think? It's like, yeah, not really my my speed. Um, so, D, you are not alone on this podcast. Okay, that's good to know. But but so last night was the first time you watched Last Crusade, was it? Yes, it was. And, you know, I enjoyed it a lot more. And I think that my thing when it comes to these kind of movies movies is pacing is a big thing for me because I remember the very first time this is this is committing so many movie crimes, I know. But I remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park and Die Hard, the first ones. I also thought that they struck me as very slow (laughs) to actually like get going. But I suppose it's kind of the nature of those movies, you know, they're establishing these worlds they're establishing these characters whereas when you get into the sequels like it goes at a much um you know more rapid pace like with this movie with last crusade you get into the action right away and it maintains that sense of momentum throughout so i definitely enjoyed this far far more 
like I had a similar experience because I saw Jurassic Park 3 was the very first Jurassic Park movie I saw. So then when I went back to the first Jurassic Park, I was like, this is so slow. It takes so long for the dinosaurs to appear. <laughs> so it's just to do with like personal experience and how you watch movies, I suppose. And with and with Die Hard, the issue I have with that is if you play the Die Hard drinking game, it takes ages before you start drinking. So, <laughs> once you start drinking so yeah. once you yeah. start drinking yes that momentum is maintained and yeah. the tem- temple of doom kind of starts and never stops like no matter yeah. how much you want it to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we didn't mention this last week but like one of the things that i like i really loved about reading the production of temple of doom was like the first time that lucas and spielberg saw it they were like man, that movie is too fast. And it's like, well, we shot it all and it, we shot it all overseas. It we can't reshoot. sped up. Yeah. Like, how do we slow this down? And like Spielberg's solution was, you know what? We'll hold on the matte paintings for a second or two longer on each shot. <laughs> That's how we'll do it. That's how we'll pace this movie better, which I kind of love. Um, but yes, I am a Temple of Doom apologist for my sins. But Andrew, actually, this is interesting because when we mentioned Indiana Jones, when we mentioned like that we were doing the series, um, your one beacon of light was that you kind of liked Last Crusade, that it was the one movie that you had an emotional response to. What was it like? Do you remember the first time you saw it? And what was it like revisiting it for this podcast? Um, I, I'm, I'm not certain. I'm going to guess that I was kind of in my, I think it was a little bit later. I'm, I'm, it, it, it's possible I was in my early teens or that I could have been like 10 or 11 or something. But um, yeah, I did. Um, um, I did look forward to 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 covering this, and I was glad as well watching it that I I I um, I, I got a lot out of it. I was like, yes, I'm right. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> vindicated. Yeah, yeah. So often those experiences aren't vindicating. <laughs> And it's like, yeah. let's just step into this nice thing that I liked when I was a child. <laughs> it's like, ah. child me was a very silly person with very yeah. different tastes. Oh, this is um, great. I love this. Sorry. Just good. just to kind uh, of tease somebody answers the... to so many other questions. Yeah, set, set the table. And Tony, what about yourself? Your your initial reactions to seeing Last Crusade? It, well, uh, on uh, any given day, this might be my favorite film of all time, basically. That's how I feel. So no about pressure. Yeah. No pressure. No, not at all. Um, I sort of cycle through a few. I think. I think if if push came to shove, this might be it for me. This this is just one of the most treasured things in the world for me. This film. I, I saw it when I was. No, I didn't see it at the cinema. I was slightly too young. So I was only seven when this came out. But I saw it not long afterwards on TV or on video. And this is this is for me both the best, my favorite, and the best Indiana Jones film. I think Ooh. I, th- I personally, I lo- I think it's better than Raiders and I love it more than Raiders. Um, pr- principally for the fact that it, it, the, the, the script is just fantastic. Like from start to finish. Yes. It, it is, it is funny. It is clever. It is witty. It moves at a clip, you know, as some of you've said, um, it's just joyous. It's just joyous. And, and I, I, I I know it's one of those films that I know it through in I know it every line of dialogue and I could I could sit here now. I won't, but I could sit here now and just do that film <laughs> basically and do all the voices. Like it is truly like the best thing in the world. I love it so much. So, yeah. so listeners, pull up a seat, grab some popcorn and join us for a dramatic reading of <laughs> Last Crusade. Um but yeah, no, no, like it, it absolutely is. And it's for me 
this is interesting because I have an interesting relationship with this where I think it is both the second best Indiana Jones film behind Raiders of the Lost Ark and I think it's the my second favorite Indiana Jones film behind Temple of Doom which is interesting um I like it slightly more than I like Raiders but I think Raiders is a better made film and I like it slightly less than Temple of Doom but I think this is a much much better made movie than Temple of Doom is um and to, to your point about the script I suspect I, I like I think Andrew probably knows this but I think that one of the reasons why Andrew probably had the response to it that he did. Do you know who uh, did script doctoring work on this, Andrew? Yes. Yeah, they, yes. They, they, uh, Tom Stafford is one yeah, of my favorite, favorite writers um, under under the pen name Barry Watson. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that, actually. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, he apparently wrote all of the um, all of the dialogue for Henry Jones Sr. apparently came from Tom mm. Stoppard, which like explains a lot because Henry Jones is an extremely quotable character. Mm. And I think like when we talked about Raiders, one of Andrew's big problems with it was, and it was Andrew's problem, not the podcast problem, so don't add us on Twitter, but Andrew's big problem was that the dialogue in Raiders didn't feel especially clever or quotable, dialogue despite the fact that, you great. know... Yes, this is an immensely quotable film. Mm. Um, everything from she talks in her sleep to son, they got us. <laughs> to, uh... our, our, our situation is not improved. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, but yeah, like the sure, like it sure, is an immense. I sh- should have mailed a Marx brother. <laughs> <laughs> no ticket. Um, it's, it's great. So so it much. Is... Yeah. So much fun. Uh my even even like the dramatic dialogue, like my soul is prepared, Dr. Jones is yours. Yeah, um that's yeah, sort of 100%. like really like it's a really, really written well written film and a really writerly film as well. Um and it's the first arguably the first Indiana Jones movie that feels like it actually has a script, which is interesting to <laughs> it. Um perhaps the only Indiana Jones movie that feels <laughs> like it has a script to it. But um because we're on a bit of a time crunch here, we're gonna jump right into the three questions to get us started. So D. Do you think that Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Almost exactly at the midpoint. It's 124 as we record this. See, I've only seen it once, which (laughs) is a really unfair way to assess it. But you know what? And I hope that we get more into um, it as a representative of kind of the action adventure genre, because I think that that's one of the more interesting aspects of it. But you know what? I just had such a ball watching this movie that I think, yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun, this movie. And it's kind of it's kind of hard to like poke or mention flaws of it because not that it's flawless, because it's kind of so self-aware of its flaws. It's a really clever movie. I wish I'd seen it more time. <laughs> <laughs> I'll definitely watch it again. Like I really, it's it's a joyous, exactly like. So Tony this won't was be saying. your last watch of the Last Crusade. It will not. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and Tony, I think you've already answered this, but do you think this is one of the two hundred fifty greatest movies ever made? Uh, yeah, let's, let's not. I'm not going to pretend. Oh, no, actually, no, no. Yes, of course, of course, <laughs> of course, it is. Um, it absolutely is. And I, I think not just from a personal sort of favourite point of view, but a critical point of view as well. I, I, th- I think this is like the apex of, of that sort of genre that it's trying to do. It's 100%, yeah. And very high up as well for me. All right. And Andrew, what about yourself? Um, yeah, absolutely. 100%. It, it, it's, it's, it's a joy from start to finish. There's, there's like fantastic um, set pieces. Um, it feels a bit more kind of um, uh, polished as well. It doesn't have yeah. like the the. I suppose that, like we'll 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 talk about um, Crystal Skull next week, but it it doesn't it 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 doesn't rely 
so much on um, uh, CGI, but it also doesn't look like as much like the Crystal Maze as as the previous two movies. <laughs> you know, it, it it feels more sort of um, I guess um, a grown up, but it's that... also enjoyable in a way that 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 a child could enjoy it. It is Andrew, a four quadrants that... movie. That was the original title for the next one, though. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Maze. Oh, man. That, that, was, that was the plan. That, that was really? the, that's why it took so long. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's why it was delayed At by the end, like, 19 years. To, like, catch her off. <laughs> 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 uh, little grown saucer men. I'm going to be controversial here. I'm going to say probably not. I feel like having one Indiana Jones movie on the 250 is, is good enough. I feel like it should probably be Raiders because Raiders is, I would argue, the most artistic of the set in that it's literally just a showcase Ooh. for uh, Andrew. <laughs> but like, it's, it's a showcase for a particular style of blockbuster filmmaking. I think, you know, this is great. I love this. I adore this. But it is... Okay, I'm gonna. I, I I hate this because I love this movie and I feel like I'm gonna be the kind of like heel or villain when we get into the spoiler zone. Um, but yeah, no, I would not. I think that this isn't this isn't the best Indiana Jones film. This isn't the best Spielberg film, and I think those are very high standards. And I think that it not being one of the 250 best movies of all time or having a solid argument for it is not a knock against it. Um, and this is why I'm really glad that these are two separate questions because we're going to come around on this. As I add, D, would it be one of your own 250 favorite movies? Having just watched it once for the I've first time. I've only seen it once. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so probably not, if I'm honest. But I, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Probably not tonight or anything, but <laughs> yeah. at some point soon. Um, I'd love to, yeah, I, I've got to watch it with um, my fiance's family, actually. They adore The Mummy, so I feel like I need to show them this movie mm. because I feel like this is in a very similar vein and that they'd enjoy it as well. So I'll have to rewatch it with them. Um, I, it could slowly kind of sneak its way <laughs> in there, but for now, no. <laughs> uh, and Tony, today, is this your favorite film of all time? Um, probably, yeah. recording. I think so, yeah, because we're not just because we're talking about it, but because, you know, it's a Saturday and, you know, it's a good day, isn't it? Saturday. Saturday's always a good day. <laughs> I feel quite happy. So, yeah, I think I think so. Yeah, yeah. So it absolutely makes my personal one. Yeah. Might even top it. I, I, I love the idea that you can chart Tony's mood by which, which is his favourite movie. Like, <laughs> you you want to stay away from Tony yeah. when Munich is his favourite Spielberg yeah. movie. Well, was, that's that's was, a bad day. I was going to say, don't, don't talk to me on a Tuesday because on a Tuesday, The Shining, is my favourite movie. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, it depends. <laughs> um, and Andrew, what about this? Would this be on your own personal 250? Yeah, I, th- I, I think I think it would. I mean, the, the um, it's um, it's disappointing in a way that, well, actually, sorry, I was going to say that uh, that it's disappointing in a way that Stoppard hasn't kind of like lent his um, talent, at least for dialogue. I, I, I think, I think he, he could, he could also Andrew? write, and, and, I have a treat for you. You you you're a big fan of Brazil. <laughs> yeah, I have you, a treat for you. Which Andrew. he's worked on. Um, he wrote the script for Empire of the Sun, which is the Spielberg movie that he made directly before. Yes, it. no, I, but I I think I'd, I'd I'd heard of that as well, and it's a very personal um, yeah. movie for 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 him because in in for both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah but in 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 um in this movie, Indiana Jones. Um, escapes um, the Nazis who are the, like an Axis power. Uh, Tom Stafford did that twice. 
Um, he he es- escaped che- Czechoslovakia, um, and um, when 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 uh, when the Germans were coming into to, uh, during World War Two, and also um, escaped uh, the the uh, Philippines or sorry, so no, uh, Singapore, um, when the Japanese were bombing them. So the, the his, um, so of his residence there. Yeah, yeah. So I I can understand why Empire of the Sun would mean a a, a lot to him and and. <laughs> and obliquely why this much and yeah and for myself yes unequivocally um the indiana jones movies are movies that i watch every christmas i find like i own them on blu-ray i own them on digital they are constantly on streaming but i f- every christmas i find when they're airing on like rte or bbc over three days and i will stake out a chair in the kitchen and watch them at 2 p.m you're like, not in the gap between the cooking in, well, in, well, no, Christmas Day, uh, but in the gap between Christmas and New Year's. And, like, this is the perfect movie to cap those three films because this is, like, the perfect Christmas movie because it's about, to quote the philosopher, philosopher Diesel, it's about family. Um, but it, it is about, like, reconciliation. It's about, you know, this idea of going on a journey with your dad and, like, having this profound experience with your dad and understanding your dad. Um, in a way that feels that I think of when I think of Christmas, even though this is not technically a Christmas movie, this is a movie I associate with Christmas. And so every year, even though I own it on Blu-ray and can watch it whenever I want, I will carve out time to watch it when it airs on television at 2 p.m. on an afternoon of December 28th on BBC. Um, so yeah, no, absolutely. This is one of my favorite movies uh, ever made. Do you pretend? Are Are you like, what's this? I oh, just found it. Yeah, just I was just clicking through the channels. Yeah, just through. Oh, it's an Indiana Jones movie. I, I guess we're just gonna have to watch all of it now. Um, I guess this is just staying on. Pretty good, um, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, now, and you all have no choice but to watch what I have chosen. We are going to watch. Um, but yeah, so that would be it. And then, final question before we jump into the spoiler zone. Uh, D, if listeners have not seen Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch it? As somebody who has literally had that experience. They should watch it at least once. <laughs> yes. No, but I think they'll get, a, they'll get a lot out of it. Because like this movie has full on convinced me to watch further Indiana Jones movies. So if that's not selling it, I don't know what it is. We should like, uh, and like on this podcast, we have been like, okay, I have been very apologetic for Temple of Doom. And I feel like some of us will be very apologetic next week for Crystal Skull. But I feel like we should warn you, you've already watched the two canonically good ones so just set your expectations appropriately <laughs> very fair yeah um and tony would you recommend people pause the podcast and stream or watch the last crusade surprisingly yes i would <laughs> yeah. actually yeah hot take yeah yeah i know, I know. Shocker. Yeah. um and andrew yeah absolutely no i'd recommend it and and it's 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 um the the performances um in it are are great uh if if you were listening last week to to um temple of doom temple of doom um it's it's not nearly as offensive and even yes, when it is it a lot is, less racist kind of redeeming sort of that, that it corrects itself you know the the so <laughs> it's um it's much less racist yeah. <laughs> so yeah um and it's it, it aside from the dialogue it's kind of written very well in terms of you know setting things up and paying them off 
um it's just a very good movie it's a very writerly script it is a very it's the most writerly indiana jones movies like there's a moment where indiana jones is introduced lecturing his class and he says x never marks the spot and within (laughs) 20 minutes the script has boomerang around boomeranged around to a set piece where indiana jones discovers a giant x marking the spot um (laughs) which again never trust anyone as well yeah which which pays off dramatically yeah ironically um all right then and then for myself yes watch this absolutely it is a joy um watch it at christmas watch it as part of the set watch it independently it is a great movie it is one of the great spielberg movies it is perhaps one of the most spielberg movies as well i would argue it's perhaps the clearest distillation of some of his core themes and ideas and i'm really glad we're gonna get to talk about it with that in mind then we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone his own so d <laughs> having literally just watched it last night and thank you very much again for this what is last crusade about for you and how would you situate it in that like evolution of action cinema that you mentioned yeah like like 14 hours ago you know? yeah <laughs> like, <this> is, <laughs> it hasn't even been 24 hours <laughs> um yeah, I. We just... should point out, by the way, I didn't realize you hadn't watched it when I asked. <laughs> like, I, I wasn't like, I, sorry, I should. We I feel like we, I, I, we were talking. And I was like, hey, do you like Indiana Jones? Would you like to join us for it? I didn't realize you hadn't watched. I didn't realize I was throwing you in kind of at the deep end. I apologize. I don't know. I think it's kind of funny, and I thought it'd be interesting to have an alt take in that, like. You know, I had only seen Raiders and that had kind of put me off Indiana Jones, and now I was giving it another <laughs> shot, and I'm glad I did, you know? Um,. So what's it about? It's not really about anything. It's about fighting Nazis and evil. <laughs> and yeah, it's just those simple kind of movie ideas about having fun and adventure. And like you said, re, uh, you know, reminiscing with your dad and hanging out with your dad. So it's just, yeah, it's just a really kind of fun, sweet, funny movie. And yeah, I suppose I want to talk about bit about it in terms of the action adventure genre because like I absolutely adore movies like The Mummy and Pirates of the Caribbean and I know that genre kind of hails back to the 1930s but you just don't see many examples of it anymore it's almost become too conflated with say the action and fantasy genres like if you consider something like The Hunger Games again that would be more action or fantasy rather than being described as action adventure or just pure adventure and I mean I suppose you would have had you know more examples of it like aside from the 90s and noughties if you're going back looking at the 80s since this movie is 1989 you've got the Goonies the Princess Bride like Robin Hood and the Count of Monte Cristo as well into the 90s and I'm wondering if Hook Hook Hook's a great one yeah so I'm wondering is is it that it needs to be based around a certain iconography or is it the whole globe trotting idea and then by that kind of um characteristic would you define the fast and furious franchise or say the james bond movies as adventure but then not really i think that they would be considered more strongly action so i suppose i was just wondering you guys thoughts on that um about you know this as an example of action adventure and then is like can there be action adventure movies anymore because i just haven't really seen any movies like those examples i've given kind of in the last decade really or at least i struggle to think of examples there there is one that looks like it's coming like this summer called jungle cruise jungle cruise um, oh, that's true which, yes. which if you look at the trailer that is a, a mashup well it's very the mummy because it's like yeah. emily blunt as blunt as the posh british woman you know the rock like your library Brendan sequences Fraser. yeah like, yeah like 
you're introduced to her in a library yeah. sequence. It's like, we remember the mummy. You're nostalgic yeah. for the mummy. Here we they've, go. I think they've literally taken those characters and remade them in that film by the look of it. And, and obviously the mummy in the modern version of the mummy had a re- real strong callback to the Indiana Jones film. So yeah, it's still, but you're right. It is far less prevalent nowadays than the, the fast and furious kind of movies or the big action or the Marvel superhero kind of stuff, which has moments where it, it, it touches on Indiana Jones kind of things, but it's not, yeah, it's much more mashed up into lots of other different genres. So the, yeah, I, th- I don't, I don't think you get films quite like last crusade as often these days. It's an- it's interesting you mentioned Jungle Cruise as well, because I think the director for that is Jake Johnson, if I'm not mistaken. And then he did the recent Jumanji reboot movies, which ah, I think yeah. they're quite action adventure yeah. But again, it's just very so good rare as well. to see them, mm. you know? Yeah, I've forgotten about them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're very, and they're a lot of fun. And I think that's what the thing is, that they blend together those styles. They blend together the comedy, the the action, the ridiculous sequences, the knowing awareness of it all as well. And I think... I think The Last Crusade does have a bit more of that, actually, that sort of nod and a wink that we know, you know, this is all a bit silly. And and that, that gets even more the case when you get The Rock starting to star in these kind of films and stuff like that, you know? We should mention, I think Jungle Cruise is actually directed by Juan Colette Serra, who is oh, like whoops, one sorry. of the... Oh, no, 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 no. Um, I just mention it because um, Colette Serra is one of the like directors I have a kind of a soft spot for in terms of pulpy stuff. He directed, if you remember, The Shallows with... Uh, what's her name? Brie... No, not Brie. Uh... Blake Lively. Blake Lively, that's the one. Um, I always get her confused with Brie Larson. And he also did The Commuter, which is like... He did a whole bunch of these like Liam Neeson oh, action yeah. movies, like Unknown and Nonstop. The Commuter, which has like one of my favorite montages is in recent memory, which is Liam Neeson goes to work every morning for a year. <laughs> um, which is like... It's set, like it's a Pixar montage, <laughs> but it's a Pixar montage in a Liam Neeson action movie. So it's something to behold. It's it's like one of my favorite uh, kind of moments yeah. in recent cinema, cinema history. I think like... It's interesting in terms of like that evolution of action cinema, because I do think like Rise of the Lost Ark came out um, in 81. It made 20 times its budget at the box office. It was the highest grossing movie of the year. And like Last Crusade, which we're talking about this week, uh, was the highest grossing movie of its year internationally and at the global box office. It was beaten domestically by Batman, but it grossed more worldwide uh, in total. And, like, that arguably inspired a wave of kind of imitators. So you had, like, during the 80s, you had movies like Duel of the Nile, Romancing the Stone, um, into the 90s, like the Laura Croft Tomb Raider War movies. War of the which... Roses. Isn't that the trilogy? <laughs> yeah. War... Well, War of the Roses is the Temple of Doom of that set. It's the uh, it's the divorce movie awkwardly positioned in the middle of the two big um, adventure movies. We talked like, about yeah, this, didn't we? In the last... We did. The last... We yeah. did. Yeah. In the yeah, Temple yeah. of Doom. Yeah, we did, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, like... Getting deja vu. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you, basically you yeah. had this kind of like evolution of things. And like it is worth pointing out, like Last Crusade is is singled out as arriving. It arrived in 1989, which was a huge year in terms of like blockbuster cinema. So like obviously during the 70s, we talked about how Spielberg and Lucas redefined American cinema by like shifting it away from the new Hollywood movement towards blockbusters. But like by 1989, you really start to see that coming to the fore because you have a summer that is packed with sequels. So like Star Trek V opens that year. Karate Kid 3 opens that year. Lethal Weapon 2 opens that year. And it shares a co-writer, Jeffrey Boehm, uh, with Indiana Jones. Ghostbusters 2 opens that year. Uh, And you have uh, Batman, which is obviously the Tim Burton movie, opening that year as well. So you have this idea that like by 1989... 
cinema had been colonized to a certain extent or kind of like taken over by the movies that like Raiders had helped to popularize, cement and launch, you know, Raiders following on from Star Wars, obviously. But it's interesting that like Last Crusade arrives in a summer that has like already been altered by the first movie in the trilogy eight years ago, which is which is is interesting or fascinating to me. Um, it broke all sorts of records, by the way. It was the first movie to sell $10 million worth of tickets in its opening day. Um, it grossed $46.9 in its first six days. Is beating this Last the, Crusade? This is uh, Last Crusade, beating Temple of Doom. Um, it sold, Last Crusade sold $11 million worth of tickets on Saturday, $10 million on Sunday, beating Beverly Hills Cop 2. It also broke the four-day holiday record with a gross of $37 million over four days over the weekend. Uh, it annihilated uh, and crushed Clint Eastwood's Pink Cadillac, which was released the same weekend. And it's been suggested that like its box office success was in part aided by a teacher's strike, which meant that kids were out of the house and needed to go see something. But yeah, this was this was a monster uh, in terms of like blockbuster cinema in 1989, uh, which is, is kind of interesting to kind of talk to in terms of, of Dee's point there, actually, like in terms of like situating this as a landmark of, of action cinema. And again, it should be noted, like, in terms of, like, profitability and tie-ins, um, it was the first movie to be released simultaneously in seven home media versions. It was released on VHS, Beta, Pan and Scan Laserdisc, Letterbox Laserdisc, Super VHS, 8mm, Spanish <laughs> subtitle VHS. Uh, the Super VHS version... Uh, three more. <laughs> three more. Just keep going. Um... The Super VHS version was notable for being the lowest priced Super VHS movie on tape yet at only $39.95. <laughs> a bargain basement by any price whatsoever. I actually uh, remember when DVDs came out, I paid 40 quid for The Sound of Music 2 disc. <laughs> Did you have to pay? Like, that's insane. Yeah. Wow. Like, now when I think about it, it was 40 quid. But you know, the, it, did, this... it did have a bunch of behind the scenes stuff and, like, it was lovely for my mom. So <laughs> it's terrible when you pay a lot of money for something and then see it on sale. I remember the the my first girlfriend, I got her like a Madonna CD cuz I like I understood that she liked Madonna and it was like 26 quid. And then I saw it for like 3.99 in Terror Records and I was like, I didn't buy it here. I, paid. Yeah. <laughs> I spent so much though. of my pocket money. On this this, is, this is this is <laughs> This is part of the thing, though, in that when people moan a lot about streaming and all these kind of things, I get why in many ways. And it is great to have a Blu-ray collection and all this kind of thing. But we don't. It's we can see so much now for very little money, like compared to when you pay like 35, 40 quid for a Blu-ray or a video tape. I remember when Blockbuster used to do, um, they'd have those videos. I don't know if this was the, they had the same thing in Ireland, but they had in the UK videos VHSs that were huge. The boxes were huge. Yeah. They were like this big, and they were extra priced. I remember buying the X Files movie in 1998 for like 25 quid on this massive videotape, and I'm like, I, I can watch that now on Disney Plus with the whole of the X Files, you know. And it's like, okay, I get that it's evil monopoly corporations and all that stuff, but everything's pretty cheap now, you know. We can see so much. <laughs> it's I, I can I can live with the corporate dominance of my entire future, and and you know. But, uh, but I get to watch everything for six quid. You know, so it's not, you know, trade-offs. I, I, I love the, the hot take of this podcast. Monopoly, bad. 
question mark. Um. <laughs> the, the technological revolution. You're 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 not like requiring somebody to make like all these plastic parts and yeah. put them together yeah. and put them oh, in yeah. a box yeah. and like yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. and rewind it afterwards. <laughs> to, to be fair, to give a sense of how prices fell within two years of its release, um, it was being packaged with Happy Meals at McDonald's, where if you bought a meal, you could buy for six dollars. Uh, you could buy a copy of Raise of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, or Last Crusade week on week. So if you wanted to get all three, right. remember those Happy Meal promotions they used to do. Yeah. Sorry, well, welcome to the Last Crusade cash-in podcast, apparently. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Well, McDonald's don't just sell Happy Meals. They do breakfast. <laughs> they, um, and they have healthy Are meals, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, like, you can get milk. Yeah. <laughs> we should provide provide a bit of you're able to do it like a delivery room where you get like a man to come knock on your door and hand you a, a milk from mcdonald's <laughs> they also won't deliver to schools is the thing as well i think we talked about this on mac and me like to manage their image they won't deliver to schools all right so to bring us back to last crusade <laughs> bit really of back... this is our mid-roll yeah right here um... <laughs> Bit of context in terms of talking about Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So we talked about how, you know, the idea was when they initially wanted to do Raiders, they were going to do like five of these films. They're going to churn them out very regularly. So like, you know, three years after Raiders, you have the release of Temple of Doom. And that just stops everything dead because the critical reviews of it are not great. Spielberg is not happy with it. So Spielberg and Lucas kind of go their separate ways and they say, okay, we're not going to do another one immediately. Um... So they have a number of ideas that they're pitching. And like, to be fair, we talked last week about how George Lucas is a director or a writer who doesn't learn from his mistakes, who stubbornly refuses to like react to fan feedback. But I do feel like he took some of the criticism of Temple of Doom on board when you consider the initial pitch for Lost, for Last Crusade, right? So it was originally going to be set in Scotland, followed by a hunt for the Fountain of Youth in Africa evolving into Indy battling the Monkey King and finding peaches of immortality while in Africa, even though the Monkey King is a Chinese character who only ever journeyed as far as India. Um, also ended up with Indy battling a cannibalistic African tribe. Um, is this uh, Lucas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this, this, was, this was Chris Columbus, the writer of Gremlins, his initial pitch for this. Um, it was going to, Indy was going to be killed and resurrected. It would have steampunk Nazis with machine gun arms following his every move. And Indy... <gasps> Indy would befriend a 200-year-old pygmy. It was also going to open in a haunted house in Scotland and finding Indy uh, on holiday with his vacation derailed by a villainous ghost named Baron Seagrave. So unfortunately, <laughs> while we will include this script, which is written by Chris Columbus in the show notes, this isn't quite how the project uh, emerged or kind of like grew. Basically, as we suggested, Spielberg kind of took charge of this. Um, this is Spielberg's Indiana Jones movie. He talked about how he was a hired gun. He's talked about himself as a hired gun uh, on Raiders. We talked about how a lot of the press for Temple of Doom consists of him going, no, 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 that was George's fault. George, my friend, who I trust and whose judgment I respect, chose to do this thing. Don't be angry at me. And there's a real sense that like Spielberg, after doing Temple of Doom, was like, okay, that is not going to happen again. So Lucas comes at him with a pitch. He's like, okay, Grail. They're going to hunt for the Grail. That's what this movie's going to be about. And Spielberg was like, well, actually, how about it's a movie about dads? That's my pitch. My counter pitch is we make this movie about the relationship between Indy and his father. 
And Spielberg was apparently like the driving force behind that. Um, and so that is... What, does he does he sometimes incorporate that into his movies? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that kind of come from, came from. Yeah. Well, that was the thing. Like at the time, at the time, a lot of critics were like, oh, it's got dad stuff. That's Lucas. Lucas does dad stuff. That's Star Wars, right? And like in hindsight, everybody who worked on the film was like, you guys, did you not watch? Like, you know, the, the feckin' like, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Did you not get any of the subtext of that? Um, and... We noticed that, like, the thing about, like, Raiders is that, like, when Spielberg makes an Indiana Jones film, it's typically because he wants to distract himself from something else. So he will try something new. It will fail, potentially embarrassingly. And so he'll go, wow, look, uh, Indiana Jones movie, uh, action blockbuster, thing the kids like that I'm very good at. So, like, after 1941, he does Raiders. After the whole catastrophe on the Twilight Zone set, he goes, well, let me tour the world and make an Indiana Jones movie uh, that won't have any darkness possibly accruing from that. And after after Temple of Doom, Spielberg went through a big phase of I want an Oscar. I want to be taken seriously as a director. So he made The Color Purple and he made Empire of the Sun. And this is stunning to me. The Color Purple, which is a drama film uh, starring Whoopi Goldberg about a, an African-American woman growing up at the turn of the century, suffering through indignity and hardship, was the fourth highest grossing movie of its year because Spielberg directed it. It got, I think, seven Oscar nominations, including three for acting, uh, which again is impressive, but Spielberg did not get a director's nomination for it. He then went and he did uh, Empire of the Sun, and Empire of the Sun opened to reviews that were not kind to it, um, they said that Spielberg had no business doing this stuff. It got a couple of Oscar nominations, but got stormed out by Bernardo Bertolucci's The Last Emperor, Emperor, another kind of like Eastern set movie that kind of overshadowed it. It didn't perform particularly well at the box office. And Spielberg came in for a lot of criticism for it. So Spielberg, and he, he didn't get a Best Director nomination for either of those. So Spielberg... You could say it looks like he just said, okay, you know what, fine. I will make a crowd-pleasing blockbuster spectacle like everybody wants it to make. And, like, it's fascinating to read interviews from 1989 because he's already couching. He's already talking. He's already saying, you know, doing Indiana Jones feels like I am consciously regressing. Um, I'm only doing it because I, did a, I had a handshake deal with George that I would do three of these. That's the reason why I'm doing this third film which is a real, I don't necessarily want to make this movie. Uh, and you have a lot of, you look at a lot of the contemporary press, a lot of critics are like, oh, Temple of Doom, are we going to get another one of those? And so much of this, like so much of the press seems to be coming off the back is like, no, 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 it's uh, it's not Temple of Doom. It's definitely not Temple of Doom. Uh, like the initial coverage from the Los Angeles Times of early screening saying, according to uh, ex uh, exhibitor sources, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is hot. Our intrepid anthropologist might be rebounding as well. Um, it got it is got a big thumbs up from our sources for wall-to-wall -wall action and for being, and I quote, nearly as good as the first, which is interesting as well. And this is where Darren puts his hat his Indiana Jones hat on and like, I love this movie very, very much. But is there a criticism of this that it like Spielberg and Lucas got wrapped on the knuckles for doing something different with Temple of Doom? And Last Crusade is arguably just Raiders of the Lost Ark again, in that it features many of the same beats, in that it's it's another movie in which Indiana Jones fights Nazis. He finds himself facing an erudite man in a suit who is collaborating with Nazis. 
Um, he's introduced, like, he teaches a class on the, he, like, he literally teaches the class on the difference between fact and mythology, which is a direct reference uh, to the sequence where he's introduced in Raiders. Uh, whereas Temple of Doom took Indiana Jones and stripped away his supporting cast, this reintroduces the character of Marcus. It brings back Sala. Uh, several of the direct sequences in this, like, feel like they're, like, referencing directly on Raiders. So, like, the sequence with the tank feels like it's Spielberg doing the truck sequence from Raiders again. In fact, Spielberg's talked about how his big difficulty shooting the tank sequence was, I didn't want it to feel like I was just doing the truck sequence from Raiders again as well. And like, is there a fair criticism there? Is there a sense in which this is the kind of sequel where it's like all the stuff that you remember from the movie that you liked eight years ago, just repackaged and, and given to you, in a format that we already know that you like, is that fair to say? I, I don't, I don't know how fair that. Is. Sorry, I, I, I feel, I feel it, like it's like having an M and a Q scene, like in a Bond movie. They, they, it's, it's some elements that you discussed there, like, like the classroom, the kind of obligatory classroom scene. What, what, but what, it's what, not, what, but it's not obligatory. Think, but it's not obligatory. I mean, oh, sorry, sorry. Oh no, I was just going to add. Like, obviously, I haven't seen Temple of Doom, so I can't really comment. But it, just what you were describing there, I was like, oh my god, just like they did with Star Wars. Yes. From like Last Jedi to Rise of Skywalker, essentially just doing a one hundred and eighty degree turn of like, okay, let's just go back and give the fans what they're familiar with and what they want. I Rise of Skywalker pissed me off. I was just like, this is just giving the baby its bottle, you know. Yeah. But, but uh rant over <laughs> well no like i mean we talked about this like we, we talked about this with i think um like return of the jedi when we did that this this year as well where you had that similar thing where it's like we did empire and empire was a bit darker and a bit more uncomfortable and people got a little bit uncomfortable at the time so we just did a movie that took all of the beats of the original star wars like the death star is back for example you know that sort of stuff and even here it's like okay well we're not doing the shankara stones we're doing another artifact that could be traced to like judeo-christian kind of backstory and origin as well i don't know tony is is that fair am i being unfair is that a fair criticism to make of the movie no i don't think you've been unfair i, th I think i think it is a fair criticism because there you have spelled out things that are similar it is played in a similar wheelhouse in terms of that christian iconography it is repeating certain action beats it does have the nazis back again um and uh well i know we're talking about crystal skull next time but the the they they did talk about having Nazis back again for that, and it was kind of jink it was kind of nixed um, for the Russians. But I think the difference with Crusade, and I think maybe where it does stand out, is in that relationship between Indy and his dad, yeah. because I think that is what makes this its own beast. Because what they could have done is, if they really were going to repeat Raiders, they could have just made the character of Elsa into the proper, you know. Um, leading lady in the sense of Willie Scott from Temple of Doom and, and like Marion Ravenwood from Raiders, but they don't. They place Henry in that role, essentially, the the the, the sidekick role. Um, not obviously the love interest role, but the sidekick role, the one that Indy bounces off and the one that he has to go on the adventure with. Um, and I suppose you could argue in Temple of Doom, he had two, he had short round as well, which, which formed a similar function. But in this, I think it's that relationship and the way it's played is why Crusade manages to stand on its own. And yes, it does wrap all those familiar beats around it. 
Um, I mean, it's notable that like the I think like you have John Williams recycling several cues, for example, like from the soundtrack for the original um, Raiders. You have the moment where he discovers the Ark. He sees the Ark drawn. He's like, "What's this one? The Ark of the Covenant? Are you sure? Pretty sure?" And you play the Ark theme as well, and it's it's very like it's it's weird. Anyway, look, I I love this movie, but like I was watching it thinking that like, and it it, it the, the the use as well of. Um, of the the, the um, Elsa, um, Doctor Schneider, like like the 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 portrayal of 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 women in this is again his kind of like not only is 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 it is it um not as racist as Temple of Doom, but it's also not as kind of misogynistic. Uh, I, I, I I mean, it's pretty misogynistic. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like this is the, this is the thing we talked about with like Temple or Temple of Doom is. A divorce movie. This is not us. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I worried, like, D, don't run to the defense of Temple of Doom. That is the only advice I would offer on that front. But No, like, no, I was yeah, just going to no, say. It's quite I'm, a high bar. It, yeah. No. I just, I just kind of <laughs> wish that you had more than one woman in this movie. And I wish she wasn't slapped. And I wish she wasn't so morally and physically weak. So I just would mm. say that about this movie. I mean, like, that's just watching it as a woman and seeing your one representative on screen i was i was a little bit disappointed by that and not gonna lie no, no, like, like this is the thing i think we talked about last week with temple of doom being kind of the sin eater of the franchise and deservedly so because it is a very racist movie with very uncomfortable attitudes towards women and people who are not white but i do think that like temple of doom because temple of doom is so overt in that people tend to give the other indiana jones movies a pass like this is a movie that thinks it's a fun punchline that Indy and his father had sex with the same woman. Ho ho ho, isn't that hilarious? And it's like, no, that's kind of really deeply uncomfortable. I don't know why. It is a bit creepy. Yeah, I don't know why you, this is a, a fun beat that you're playing. As- I, but, I, but, I, I have to put my hand up and say, like, I'm probably just guilty of being um, a creep for 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 a sexy villain. <laughs> Like it's uh, it's the on a top, um, uh, like I I I I I've just figured it out. I'm 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 wrong about this. It's not a good character, but I'm just like yeah, more of her. But you know what though that 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 that's kind of the point though. In that Elsa is depicted in that very in quite a vampish way, particularly as you get through the film. You know, and I think the reason that they make that joke is is predominantly because it's Sean Connery, and we have to remember that. Yeah, true. Yes, Sean Connery is playing a a, a a comedy bumbling professor, but this is Sean Connery. This is James Bond, and I think if it if it had been if it had been somebody like I'm trying to think of someone at the time, um, a very sort Lawrence of Olivier. Up, if, if, Gregory it, Peck. Olivia. Gregory Peck was one of right. them. Like Lucas wanted yes. Lucas wanted Gregory Peck, and Spielberg said, "No, my movie, George, my movie." Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. But if it had been somebody who is not necessarily linked to being such a powerful sex symbol as Connery, the kind of guy who ten years later in Entrapment is still getting it on with Catherine Zeta Jones, let's remember when he's nearly seventy, and it, that's creepy. I think it would really have not have worked in the same way. And I think if you do look at it, yes, it is a little bit. Ooh, that's a bit of a but I think it works on a base level because you associate the actor involved. We are spending. Uh, I'm not saying it's right, <laughs> but I'm saying I think that's why. You know, I like again. I feel like we were spending far much too much time on this line than we really need to. So Darren's going to spend more. Um, while <laughs> while that weird eatable thing was always part of the script and always part of the story, 
it's notable that that line was improvised by Connery. Connery improvised right. that. Right. Yeah, apparently they all burst out laughing and they had to like stop shooting because everyone just lost it. Yeah. The cast and crew. Yeah. Um, and like that's that's the thing about <laughs> um, so yeah, to bring it back to, to Indiana Jones Senior, actually, in the casting of Sean Connery. We talked about on Raiders how for Spielberg, the way in which Lucas kind of sold him on doing Indiana Jones was, look, you love James Bond movies. You love the Sean Connery James Bond movies. You actually took a meeting with like Ion or Eon and said, I would love to direct one of these. And I think Cubby Broccoli said, nope, not interested. Sorry, Steve-O. You may be the best director in the world, one of the biggest names in the world, but you're just not a good fit here. Um, And you, you know, and Spielberg was kind of like taken aback by that. That's probably astute. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he would have done a very good a Bond movie. Well, maybe we maybe he would have done an incredible one, but I, I I don't think it would have been good in the way the Bond movies are. Good. Well, I mean, like I think they, that they don't. The Bond franchise likes people. I think that they can control. maneuver. Yeah. Quote. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think they would have done that with him. Yeah, and I mean to be fair, like you could argue that they've gotten more auteurish as they've gone on, and that like you have like the Sam Mendes movies, which are still Mendes movies as well as being Bond movies. But at the time, I don't think Spielberg would have been a good fit. But like, so, so like Lucas, like one of the things about doing Raiders was Lucas consoling him and saying, well, look, you can make your own James Bond. That's what you'll do here. And so that's why the casting of like Henry Jones Sr. um, as Sean Connery was so important to him. Because like, yeah, if Indy has a father, of course, it's going to be James Bond. Despite the fact I love that, like Connery is only 12 years older um, than than Ford. And apparently. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, well, that's like the yeah. Mamma Mia casting of um, Meryl Streep and Cher is her mom. It's like, <laughs> yeah. guys, yeah. Are, you, uh, are you kidding? Yeah. How, does, yeah. how does time work? And like, what, what's striking to me is that like, this is only six years removed from like, never say never again. That's Sean Connery. Like, that's sort of like, I know he was. They, they both had, um, there was both Indiana Jones uh, the young Indiana Jones Chronicles and James Bond Jr. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. In, in they the were 90s. around the same time. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It's like people like Indiana Jones and they like uh, James Bond, but he's so old. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's do something for like teens. Wait yeah. till they see Indiana Jones 5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like, and again, like it's, it's worth pointing out that like it was like Spielberg really pushed this. It was Spielberg who wanted the dad stuff. Like the dad thing was my idea. The Grail doesn't offer a lot of special effects and doesn't promise a huge physical climax. I thought the Grail that everybody sees could be a metaphor for a son seeking reconciliation with a father and a father seeking reconciliation with a son. It also gave me a chance to suggest Sean Connery because who else but Bond could have been a worthy enough to be James Bond, to be Indiana Jones's dad. And like, this is like one of the things when we talk about Raiders, I argued that Raiders is a Spielberg film where the absent father is God himself. Where like, it's about a man looking for God. It's the influence of God in the world. And to the point of like Last Crusade being the most writerly of Indiana Jones movies, the one that is best written, the one that has the best script, the one that has the strongest central themes. I like the way in which it understands, it conflates that. It makes that subtext of Raiders text. Because, you know, it is about Indiana Jones searching for God or searching for proof of God or searching for an artifact that demonstrates the existence of God. But in the end, what does he find? He finds his father. He rejects our father for his father, which I think is a (laughs) nice kind of thematic, um, like it's a very clever narrative thing. And it gives the movie an emotional hook that I don't think any of the three other Indiana Jones movies have. Um, and I think, like, is is that fair to say? 
Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. I, th- I, I think it, 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 the core of it is very much that relationship, and you know, right from the very beginning, where you see. I mean, I really like how in the the ten minute, you know, Indiana Jones Chronicles, you know, uh, promo sequence essentially, where it's young Indy, um, you don't see Henry. You only see you only see him. You don't see his face. You only you just hear his voice, and you see him writing in the book, and that's when Indy's young. And that is the definition of the fact he's not there in his life. You know, he's this absent, mysterious figure who we don't really see. And it's only later on when he starts to, he has to connect with his father that we we see him grow more into the indie figure as time goes on. You know, eventually Connery is looking much more rugged and handsome by the end of the movie. When you first see him in Austria, he's got his little <laughs> hat on and he's got his little bow tie on and he's like, oh, this Etruscan face, you know, all this kind of his thing. His umbrella and, and his little briefcase, end, which I love, yeah. Yeah. But by the end, he's a strider horse going, <laughs> Indy, and all this kind of thing. Um, and he's, at first, you know, they make the joke about, <clears throat> excuse me, at first they make the joke about Marcus getting lost in his own museum and all that sort of thing, and Denham Elliott's bumbling around. And in a way, that could have been Henry halfway through the, at the beginning of the movie. But by the end, Henry is the one making, oh, got lost in his own museum, huh? And he's doing all that kind <laughs> of, he's far more suave. And, he, and you see that transformation. It's like... So it's very interesting the way they position Henry and and how that works in terms of Indy finding him. And in a way, I think Henry finding himself, I guess, and finding the kind of Indy within him, I suppose. It's fascinating. And whether it's intentional or not, I just I think it's very interesting to see that throughout the movie. He only has half of the charisma of Sean Connery. As 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 much as as much as I don't don't like Sean Connery for 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 like a whole lot of things, um, he has so much charisma, um, and then mm. then it goes from uh, like Sean Connery to Harrison Ford to Shia LaBeouf <laughs> to Shia LaBeouf <laughs> having, um, yeah. having charisma as well. well. I I I I really think that I mean I I'll, I'll be honest. I know he's problematic in a way, but Sean Connery, he's, he's my favourite actor. He always has been. And Harrison Ford's near, not far off that list as well. And I, th- I think this is Connery's best performance. I really do. I think this is him both doing what he does with that charisma, but tapping into the kind of witty comedy that he really was capable of. You know, And if you give him a good script, a great script, in fact, he can do wonders with it. And I really do think this is the best he, he, ever, he ever was. Even... Better than Bond, better than some of the performances where it was more dramatic and more serious. This is the one I think is him at his absolute best, really. Well, he's gone through a revival. Like he won the Oscar for The Untouchables mm. around the same time as well, if I remember correctly, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people might say that. A lot of people might say stuff like The Untouchables or some of his 70s stuff, you know, they did with Sidney Lumet and all this kind of thing. And I get that. I understand. But I think he is the secret source in a way to this film. I think you could have, I think absolutely it was brilliantly written but i think you could and, and maybe olivier or gregory peck would have been great as henry but i don't know i i tend to think that that dynamic and the sheer chemistry between those two as father and son and the way they play off each other is just phenomenal really i i've rarely seen it as ever as good a pairing as those two on screen in that role and because we're talking about trends actually just very quickly one an interesting thing i noted looking back at 1989 you have this like this idea of 
characters looking for God, but reconciling with like fathers instead or family instead is an interesting recurring motif. It pops up in Star Trek V, in which William Shatner finally gives Kirk an adversary worthy of himself, that is God, uh, and Field of Dreams, <laughs> um, in which like Kevin Costner is told by God to build uh, a baseball stadium in the hope that his father might come back. So it's kind of interesting. Wayne's World too. <laughs> But if you build it, they will come. <laughs> if you book them, they will come. But like, I do love that you have like that. It's this father son thing is very much something that's happening in 80s culture at the time. And again, you could argue like, you know, Lucas had popularized uh, Campbell with like Star Wars. And this is arguably just the ultimate conclusion of this, where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you need to make peace with your baby boomer dad. You need to like accept that, you know your baby boomer dad was cool and you know you need to find peace with that as you venture into the 90s uh but i do i find it fascinating that like this is just a thing that is happening in pop culture uh, along with the whole like we're making these gigantic sequels now this is what we're doing which i find kind of interesting and kind of uh fascinating as these things go um in terms of of other stuff the we haven't talked at all about the introductory sequence uh, of the movie which is a flashback sequence where Indiana Jones discovers his entire personality over the course of a single afternoon, um, which I find kind of like, I find really charming. But part of me is like, in 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 20 years, this is going to be the template for Cruella. This is going to be the template for The Bang 3. Solo. Solo. See, that's the thing, yeah. Darren. They did that in a matter of minutes, yes. not extending it all over a whole freaking movie. Yeah. That's yeah. when it yeah. becomes a problem. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's fun. Like I think that that's the thing about it is that it's goofy and it's playful. It's not taking itself to like like in Cruella. It's like her mother was murdered by Dalmatians, so now she hates Dalmatians, and it's like yeah, yeah, it's so dumb. And like it, whereas last Cru- <laughs> whereas last Crusade is just like oh he fell in a pit of snakes. That's it. That's all you need to know. Um, like like how do, but it's good as well because it sets up initially that he's not afraid yeah. of snakes. Yeah, and he has this traumatic experience. It's it's. It's a miniature character arc. Um, I do wonder how different his life would have been if he boarded a mail train instead of a circus train. Like, how different would his <laughs> life have been? Um, but, like, like, part of me is, like, and again, this is the thing where it is the most writerly of the of the Indiana Jones. It's the movie that is most obsessed with, like, treating these as characters rather than action figures who just do stuff. So, like, you have, like, a checklist of things that that prologue has to establish, which is, like, well, where does he get the hat? Like, why does he have a bullwhip? Because that's a very strange thing for an archaeologist to have. Why is he afraid of snakes? Uh, why does he dress the way that he does? And it basically runs through this kind of item, this kind of list of stuff that, you know, and again, it's because it's so quick on its feet, because it's so nimble, you don't actually mind that much. But part of me is like, yeah, if you did this, if you did this clumsily, you would be where we are now with blockbuster cinema, where... Like, we have to explain, as Andrew said, how Han Solo ended up with the name Han Solo. Like, even, like, arguably, like, Indiana Jones does the same thing, where it's like, Indiana, that's a weird know name. I why he's called Han. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't got around to it. But, like, yeah. I mean, arguably, Last Crusade even does that, where it's like, we named the dog Indiana. Um, and it's like, yeah. but, like, it gets away with it because it's just smart enough and funny enough. But I do wonder, like, do we see... The kind of like the the roots or kind of the seeds of what will will grow in the years ahead is that is that a fair observation to make? Mm, I don't know. I don't think it's so. I don't. I don't think that it's from the Last Crusade no, that okay. people are borrowing this origins. I think that it comes from several other sources. Um, but 
I don't know. It is. It is a bit annoying. Like some some of these movies do it really well. Like I'm thinking of like say, okay, well this isn't a movie, but Wicked, for example, with the whole origin story with the Wicked Witch, it actually works quite well. Um, but then you do the same thing in like Oz the Great and Powerful, and it's terrible. Which is like again, and it's so fascinating yeah. because it's the same story. How do you? Yeah. How do you not do Wicked anyway? Sorry. Yeah, that's the thing. I just. Um, or like, I, I kind of have a soft spot for Maleficent. I don't know why, but I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's probably crap, but I like it. The sequel <laughs> to it now is rubbish. Like, it decides that she's like part of this colony of other winged beasts. And she like goes up to them and they seem to be like in kind of some halfway point between heaven and earth. It just, it gets weird. Maleficent 2 is the weirdest Holocaust movie I have ever seen. And I'm not exaggerating. You're watching it and there's no way to see it as anything but a Holocaust movie. And you're like, how is this a Disney live action sequel to a spinoff about the villain from, um, is it Cinderella? Uh, No, Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. Sorry. To to, to be fair though, I can, I, I think, Last Crusade is an example of how these things have then become part of the need to explain everything. The need to backstory everything has become part of, you know, it's like, you know, that didn't happen before. It's, you know, I mean, I dread to think one day we're going to get the, you know, the the origin story of Mayor Quimby from Jaws. You know, we're going (laughs) to, do you know what I mean? It's going to be down to that level. (laughs) (laughs) Have I got got his name wrong? Have I said the Simpsons guy there and not? And not the guy from Jaws. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you have. Oh, what's the what's the, what's the guy's name from Jaws? With the with what's the anchor name? print. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Larry Vaughn. He's got some. Yeah, terrific, what if I said, what if I said the guy from The Simpsons? Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, that would. That would I would. Be I would happily watch Quibi. We could get a Jaws. We could get a Jaws origin story, like when. His, when he's a baby shark and there's some trauma in his childhood that makes him eat people yeah his his mother yeah, was yeah. killed by you know bathers you know like that's yeah. <laughs> who gives the origin a little, a little of baby dog. shark <laughs> my baby shark baby yeah shark, exactly yeah. Um, but but this is it you you didn't get that probably before maybe before the 80s you know, although I don't, I don't know if it was that prevalent also in the '90s either. A lot of the blockbuster cinema in the '90s, I don't remember a lot of them needing to do the origin, story. all of the backstory filling in. No, that that seemed to have become a trend much more in the 2000s. Onwards, like it's notable, that, I think. Where, like, like, like to pick an example, the 1989 version of Batman begins with Michael Keaton already being Batman. Now you do get backstory, yeah. you get flashbacks, and you get like a wonderful fake out at the start, but he is Batman when that starts. Same thing with the mm. 1960s TV show with Adam West. You get a single line of dialogue about how criminals killed his parents and now he's Batman and that's it. Whereas now every Batman story that you do has to also be an origin. So Batman Begins, you know, I give a pass to because it's brilliant and it's the best comic book origin story ever told, but also it was first. Uh, but also, like, you know, you have Batman versus Superman. You have, you know, the flashbacks. Uh, like, the new Batman movie with Robert Pattinson is set early in his career mm-hmm. as well. Like, you have this this thing now where everything, as as Tony said. Joker. Well, yeah, Joker. I was just thinking. Joker, Joker yeah. yeah. And a mm-hmm. lot of people mm-hmm. were annoyed at the time that Joker came out because everyone was like, the whole... But I think that this was largely an interpretation from The Dark Knight as opposed to, like, I know the comic books are different and I don't really read the comics, to be honest. But, like people were really annoyed about the fact that they were doing a Joker origins movie on the basis that you're not meant to know the Joker's origins. Like they're meant to be mysterious. He just kind of 
came into being and the Dark Knight kind of plays on that idea you know you have Heath Ledger's interpretation of the character giving like three different backstories as to how he got his scars so we don't in essence we don't need the origins of everything but I think that Last Crusade in fairness does it well in that it's kind of part of the fun and the silliness and that is maintained from the start to the end of the movie and just that kind of self-awareness and it's it's playfulness you know what i mean and like and this is one of the interesting things about watching last crusade is the way in which it is like it's written in a way that it's constructed as the last indiana jones movie it seems like it's very much intended to be the last time that they make an indiana jones movie so you have like when they're doing press for it in 1989 i don't think any of us have any intention of doing more indiana jones films says george lucas uh three is a nice number Spielberg says, George and I shook hands when the Indies films began. We agreed if the first one worked that we would do three. Um, The press, like the LA Times review says, we're told that this is the last romp with old Indiana. Um, After the movie was over, Harrison Ford donated his iconic bullwhip to the Institute of Archaeology at uh, University College London. Um, And like I, you know, and even like the way in which the film is structured, because again, it's a very writerly film. One of the complaints that we had last week or when we talked about like Temple of Doom, one of big Andrew's big complaints, I think Tony's as well. And I think um, Alex's as well was like, what the hell's going on? What is the point of this? Where's the character coming from? Where's he going? Why is he doing the stuff that he's doing? Why is he in a nightclub now selling the mummy remains for a diamond? I think that like... Temple of Last Crusade is much more careful about being an actual movie. It's much more concerned with like structure, payoff, setup, and payoff. And things like the way in which it's structured, where you have the flashback to Indiana's childhood, where he takes the cross and it's taken away from him. And then you jump forward in time to Indiana Jones, like in the movie's present, and he's recovering the cross. And it's the idea. That was. Uh... Yeah. That was that was I th- I think that was the Stoppard edition as well. This have that 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 scene that links the two. The the, the, the man the, in the Panama hat was the Stoppard edition. Um, they couldn't figure. Yeah. They wanted to link the two and they couldn't figure out how. And it was Stoppard who said, "No, you have because obviously the the original Indiana Jones would be too old. That the guy who inspired him would be too old to be doing it in the present day. So you have the man with the Panama hat, and that's your connective tissue there. But the idea is that like." At the start of The Last Crusade, Indy has wrapped up his first case. Like the case that inspired him to become an archaeologist. The case that literally made him the man that he is today. He's taken the cross. He's put it in a museum. That's the end of his arc. And so there's a real sense with The Last Crusade that this is the last Indiana Jones movie. It's meant to be the end of a trilogy. It's meant to be final. And actually, Dee, like as somebody who just watched this for the first time, did you get that sense watching it? Did it feel like this is the last Indiana Jones movie, even beyond calling it The Last Crusade? See, no, because I knew that there was a point. And like, I, I know about the fifth one because like I've kind of, I, I was just talking about it on radio this week. So I'm very aware that this is not the end of Indiana Jones. But um, no, I just watching it, it just felt like another chapter. But again, it's because I know the existence of these other two movies and I, it felt like the last one that includes Sean Connery because I know it's the last <laughs> one that includes Sean Connery. And I was disappointed by that. You know, I am kind of, I'm curious now to see what it'll be like um, seeing the fourth with Shia LaBeouf <laughs> compared to like someone as just oozing with charisma and charm as um, Sean Connery does. You know, I don't I don't know if it's going to work. And also like just the the kind of the retro feel of it just really kind of suits it. It'll be 
interesting to see how a 2000s version of Indiana Jones. I'm curious to see it. I know I sound like totally <laughs> naive to anyone listening to it. it this is well, probably like, I've seen all the Indiana Jones movie, but it'll be because I think that part of what works so well about this movie, and this is what Spielberg does so well in his works, is that they feel nostalgic immediately when you watch them. You know what I mean? Yeah. They 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 did ask Connery to come back for Crystal Skull, but he said no. He was too he retired and he was too busy playing golf and things. Although he he did apparently say that it was because the part was too small. It would have been just like a cameo, it would have been just a pop in and he said, you know, bring me back, do it properly, kill me off, etc. But they decided on a completely different story. So it's a it's a shame that we never see him again, really. Um but in a way it's not, because this is one one and done and it's perfect. Really. We should mention, by the way, like we mentioned that like Salah is brought back as part of that nostalgia. Like you have both Salah um, and you obviously have Brody from the first film. I love that like... Jo- Terrific scene. Yeah, I love that jo- John Reese davies um, turned down. He was offered an appearance in The Crystal Skull. And they offered to like fly around the world to screen to shoot to shoot him. They said, "Look, you don't even have to come to us. We will go to you and we will shoot your scene." Um, and it's like I was asked to be in the last one, but they wanted me. They wanted me to do a bit of green screen, walk in, sit down, clap. They're going to cut into the wedding scene at the end. I turned it down because it seemed to me that this would be a bit of a betrayal to the audience's expectations. Salah is a popular character. There's a greatness of soul about him that we all love and admire. And I love the idea of John Reese davies being like, not enough Salah. There needs to be more Salah uh, on this kind of like peppery, on the sandwich here that we're making. Um, the, the fans wanted Stephen. Give them the Salah movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> Salah already. <laughs> uh, yeah. But that's it. You, I, I feel like if these were made these days, you would have Salah and it would be a spin-off movie. Yeah. You know, you get young Salah in whatever. How they met. You know, you get a flashback sequence about how they met. It's just so unnecessary. Like, you know, I think John Reese Davis, I think, has an overinflated opinion of himself and the character there, really, <laughs> in many ways. He's he's great fun, don't get me wrong, and he is great fun in those but both films, but you know, it's just you take know. the money and run, mate. You know? He was right about sliders, but it would never be a success without him. <laughs> I mean, he, like he was, he was, he was wrong that, though yeah. that it was it was never good with him either though. That's like, I mean, yeah. you gotta give him half. half. Like <laughs> he was half right to be fair, um, but yeah, no, like I mean, and again, like the the bringing back of Salah kind of feels nostalgic, but like it's it like Salah feels a bit more of a cartoon here than he. And again, mm. part of this feels like a reaction to Temple of Doom, like Last Crusade. When we talked about Raiders and we talked about Temple, like one of the big questions we had was would you show a child this? And like to the point where like Temple of Doom is the reason that PG-13 is a rating. And I'm watching Last Crusade. Is Last Crusade the most child-friendly of the Indiana Jones movies? Like outside of... It's also adult-friendly. Yeah. You can watch this and be a grown-up. Like I was watching this and I felt giddy during certain yeah. sequences. I think that it's it's both friendly for kids and then it's also it ignites that inner child in you you know what i mean i think that that's mm. that must be part of this movie's charm and timelessness because genuinely i was like like i said <laughs> giddy watching certain yeah. sequences in this like it was just so like silly and fun and i think that that's actually a big trope of spielberg's movies as well be it like sci-fi or um you know more action adventure type movies like this suspend your disbelief i think is kind of a frequent 
thing that comes to my mind anyway when it comes to like common tropes in Spielberg's mm. movies. But in this way, it's it's in a good way. You know, you don't care about the adult realities of all that. It's just it's just a bit of crack. I <laughs> I think the only the only parts that kids might be a bit ooh, about were elements like in the catacombs where you see like the skeletons or at the end in the or cave Donovan where they're melts. going through and you've got someone impaled on a spike and then yeah donovan melts you know and all that going ages turns into and doc brown kind of from uh you know back to the future yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 but they are they're fewer and further between than how raiders at times was quite brutal in many po- at points and all but and the then finale Temple is Doom. really brutal <laughs> yeah right uh, yeah, and then Temple of Doom is... Perpetually brutal. Um, it's never not brutal. Yeah, basically. Very <laughs> violent and, you know, disturbing at points. Where, whereas, yeah, Last Crusade absolutely has that giddiness and that comic book feel of it being slightly hyper-real, you know. There's no, like, Pat Roach getting sliced to death with a rotor blade, you know, and the blood splattering, and then Marion going, oh, well, there's nothing like that. When Indy's punching the Nazis, it's just bush, well, he, bush, he throws bush, a, na- he throws you know, a Nazi a- out of a blimp, and the Nazi lands on a pile of, like, soft, um, like, suitcases. <laughs> like, they're the softest-looking yeah. suitcases. Like, yeah. but aren't they, like, I thought they were, like, all car, like, kind of proper hard in those days. So I was like, oh, well, they, that doesn't look like the worst place to land. Um, <laughs> like, but... To bring it back yeah. to what Andrew said there, which I find kind of interesting, the idea of this being an adult movie as well, because this does, like, one of the big things about Spielberg is that he directs with a sense of childhood, childish wonder. And many of his movies are told from the perspectives of children or looking through the eyes of children. I mean, like, his biggest smash in the, um, you know, one of his biggest smashes in the 80s was E.T., uh, which is like one of the most childlike movies ever made. I mean, Jurassic Park has that kind of similar through the perspective of a child as well. AI, when you get on later as well. But like, I think there's an argument to be made about Last Crusade as a movie that is about growing up to a certain extent, about getting older, about realizing that you can't stay a child forever. And I think it's notable that it follows, while it is a big, like, you know, silly adventure movie, it follows his two big attempts to reinvent himself as a prestige filmmaker with the color purple and like Empire of the Sun. And Empire of the Sun is like ex- Empire of the Sun is like what if Short Round, who survived the like Japanese attack on Shanghai, was in a drama starring John Malkovich? That's basically the pitch of like <laughs> Empire of the Sun. Um, but like Empire of the Sun is about a kid who grows up too quickly. It's about the loss of innocence, the loss of childhood, and it feels so striking because it's a Spielberg movie, which is normally about preserving and protecting those things. And like watching The Last Crusade, part of me wonders if you could see this as, as Andrew said, a movie for grownups. It's a movie about coming of age, where it's a movie about how it's an anti-Peter Pan story, which is ironic given that Spielberg's going to do Hook um, shortly afterwards, in that it's a story about how you can't stay young forever. You can't be immortal forever. Eventually, you will grow up and you will grow old. And eventually, you will probably die. And eventually, you will reach the end or the culmination of something. So you have, like, even the idea of the Holy Grail. Like, the Holy Grail, you know, eternal life. The gift of youth to whoever drinks from the Grail. It's like the Pfizer vaccine. <laughs> it's like a bedtime story, you know? Um, but, like, Indy himself describes it as an old man's dream. And crucially, though, the movie, like, 
the movie doesn't end with Indy taking the grail. It doesn't end with Indy being functionally immortal. It ends with like, there's the moment when they're in the temple and where the grail gets knocked down as the, as the floor opens and Elsa reaches for it and she falls to her death and Indy starts to reach for it. Oh, women are the worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She has depth and complexity, okay. and she's really hot. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, like I, we talked about this last week with Temple of Doom, where it's like Willie is not a complex female character, but I also think the entire Indiana Jones franchise has very serious issues with women. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Elsa, Marion was. Li- Elsa is. There is more to Elsa than than uh, uh, than to Willie. I mean, there there there. She's also a Nazi. She also <laughs> hates Nazis. Uh, she 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 finds it like burning the books, and she's kind of like, oh, maybe these Nazis weren't so great after all. Like we can identify with her. Like, like when you look at Nazis, and they've got they're so well dressed. <laughs> Uh, they've got great soldiers, great, great guns, and and they're like, yeah, these these are these are the guys I'm going to side with. And then later on, a- Andrew, like, I don't know, maybe maybe there are aspects of this that I don't agree Andrew, with. Andrew, like I know we've talked about like Tom Stoppard, and we talked about the <laughs> script. Um, is the reason that you think the Last Crusade is the best Indiana Jones movie purely because you think Elsa is hot? <laughs> <laughs> um, but to um, to, to bring it back. Bring it back, though. I think, like, I think there's an argument to be made looking at, like, The Last Crusade that it is Spielberg saying, no, it's okay to get old. It's okay to grow old and to move on. And you have him, like, bringing back James Bond, his childhood hero, as a father. You have the idea of, like, Indiana Jones at the end, like, giving up the idea of adventuring, of saying, no, I don't, you know, I don't have to have the grail. I can just accept that, like, I now have a family and that's enough. And again, it's notable that like Spielberg at this time, he was like married to Amy Irving. He was going through a divorce, but he he had kids and he talked, he's talked in, in interviews about like Cook and how like he would feel like he wasn't spending enough time with his kids because he was doing so much work on these projects that he was doing, that he wasn't getting the time with the family that he wanted to have. And I do wonder if like there's an aspect of that maturity creeping into The Last Crusade for Spielberg, where it's like, okay. I, I was this wonderkin director. I was like I am gifted when it comes to presenting like a childlike view of the world on screen. But like, do I now? Am I growing up? Am I getting older? Am I going to give up my quest or search for the Grail and like accept that for me, family is now what's most important? To uh, to quote the philosopher Diesel. But I do I do kind of wonder if there's an element of that to it where this feels does this so like uh, D Andrew Tony like. Does this, how does this feel for you as a Spielberg film? Is this more mature than some of his earlier films or some of his other films? Or or is it just like the, similar to those? Is, is there a difference perceptible to you in that, in that? Or am I reaching? Yeah, I mean, I get it from the perspective of both Indiana Jones and his father by the end of it have certainly grown a little, learned a little, and they've matured a bit. But I still think that the overall feel of this movie is still this childlike sense of wonder and adventure. I think that that is what, you know, is the overall feel of the movie, if not necessarily its conclusion, if that makes sense. Um, so I still would put this in a category like, you know, something like E.T. or Jurassic Park or those kind of movies, which also have those kind of factors and that feel to it, rather than his more 
mature works. I'm curious, actually, what did he follow this with then? Because I'm wondering, is it a bit of kind of going back to go forward, if that makes sense? If you're saying that before Indiana Jones, he was kind of going for his kind of deeper drama, Oscar Beatty type of movies. Like what movie did he do after this? Was it was it Color Purple, this and then Hook? You're it was always, yeah, I think, wasn't well, it? And, and both Between... Andrew and Tony are right um, in that, like, the order of films for Spielberg was Color Purple, Empire of the Sun, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, which was released the same year, Tony's entirely correct, as Always. Always famously, uh, no, nothing about Always is famous, but Always interesting. I haven't even <laughs> heard of it. Always is, <laughs> is yeah. interestingly one of the last two films released in the 80s. It was released the last Friday of 1989. So it is one of the last two films of the 80s. And then he followed that with Hook. Um, And I think there is... So again, that kind of also has that theme of kind of going back to go forward. Do you get what I mean? Well, that's it. Is that like I... Okay, potentially controversial opinion on this podcast, Darren says. We're in that stage where like everybody who was kids during the 90s is feeling nostalgic for the 90s. And we have these things where people publish articles about how movies are not good from the Some movies are not good from the 80s and 90s. And people get very upset because they watch them as children and they don't necessarily have. Oh, like Space Jam. Yeah, like Space Jam. Space Jam. Space Jam has been reclaimed as a classic. Space Jam's a great movie. <laughs> or... Se- sequels coming out in a few this, weeks. Uh, oh, the sequel before, looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or like, you know, like the... the um, Tony will remember this one. Uh, the Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, which was not well received by critics at the time. And then someday a critic stuck his hand up a couple of weeks ago and was like, uh, yeah, I still don't like uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. And then the owner was like, get him, boys. Um, but like, fuck. <laughs> his, his take was dumb. As- <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. No. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Come on. Um, we are all children of the 90s here. We're all colored by those blinders. But like, Hook is one of those movies where Spielberg hates it. Uh, it was poorly reviewed at the time. It did not perform especially well financially at the box office. But I get the sense that it has been claimed as a childhood classic by people who watched it as kids. Absolutely. I I, I wanted to be, because I was a tubby child, Like <laughs> I, I figured like I could roll up into a ball and then like, go down a plank and like smash people. <laughs> But I think it was more from it showing on TV as opposed to cinemas, because if it didn't do particularly well at the box office, it must have been from TV showing, because I remember watching it as a kid on TV, for sure. I think it must have been playing through the 90s. I remember going to see Disney on Ice. Um, They did like a Peter Pan, Disney on Ice, after kind of like Hook was out. And I must have been quite young, like what, four or five or so. What a... I, I saw Hook stupid amount of times at the cinema. I, I think I went about four or five times when I was I was ten, I think nine or ten. Would you go so far as to say you were hooked? Ah, yeah. very good, very good. Yeah, and, and I haven't watched it actually as an adult. I don't think actually it's been so long, and it would be very interesting to go back and see if I felt the same way and see if you agree with those critical pans. Yeah. <laughs> uh firing about today. We just dis- Those critics are robbing you of your childhood. Uh, no, I've definitely seen it a couple of times as an adult and I still really enjoy it. I actually get, I actually have mm. more of appreciation for it in terms of, um, I, I used to find the first section really boring until they went to Neverland and now I, it's a little slow. It, that section could be a bit tighter, but yeah, I have much more of an appreciation for it as, again, kind of that classic action adventure, like structure and everything. There's a good build up to it. Robin uh, Robin Williams is great. Dustin Hoffman is brilliant. 
Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, this is it, right? It has that. And this is how people feel about Last Crusade, though, isn't it? You know, it is that. That's exactly how I would describe Last Crusade to somebody, you know? And it would be, and it could be somebody who hasn't seen it for 25 years, you know, 30 years. And I, a bit like how me with Hook. So, yeah, it's interesting how it, it, these films give that reaction, don't they? Years later. Yeah, I was you know, going to say something, and I wonder if I should now. Um, but I, I was kind of it. like, okay. So we mentioned that stuff about, like, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade being possibly about, like, having to grow up and mature and, like, you know, accept that you can't adventure and travel the world and maybe you should reconcile with your dad before he dies. Um, and by the way, worth noting that, like, shortly after the film was released, Spielberg would marry Kate Capshaw and, like, much like he credits her for guiding him back to Judaism, which would inform, obviously, Schindler's List, she also encouraged him to reconcile with his father, Arthur, from whom he had an estrangement. So there's a nice little kind of subtext to this movie as well, where, like, Spielberg had his own Last Crusade experience with his father shortly afterwards. But I do wonder if, because Spielberg, like, went through a divorce shortly after this, and he's talked about it, both Always and Hook kind of almost feel like the antithesis of this where this is like okay you've been a kid time to grow up time to move on time to accept that you're not immortal you're not going to be granted eternal youth you need to get on with your life and do important stuff or kind of like you know stop having whimsical adventures whereas always is like the ultimate boomer fantasy where after he dies he gets to continue to guide the lives of the much younger people around him and they all follow his advice and it's like Yep, my job here is done when I say my job here is done. Thank you very much. Uh, And Hook is, you know, Peter Pan as an adult going back and regressing to his childhood and returning to Never Never Land and recapturing that lost youth and kind of getting the eternal youth that, like, Last Crusade explicitly rejects. And I I find that kind of interesting. Like, Dee mentioned, like, Spielberg going backwards to go forwards. Like, part of me wonders if this was a little bit of a move forwards and then kind of Spielberg slipped back uh, almost immediately in the years that follow. Um, Yeah, it kind of depends on if you're looking at it more narratively or thematically, because I think narratively, certainly Last Crusade is about growing up, accepting um, mortality and everything, Um, particularly given Last Crusade was originally intended to be the end of that trilogy. That would make a lot of sense. And then, like you said, Hook, I think in terms of its kind of narrative conclusion, it's about embracing what's important about like, you know, the childlike sense of kind of wonder and also being able to play and use your imagination and stuff like that. So, yeah, there is kind of a shift there. I'd almost be interested to check out Always Now to see if there's something going on like in between those two features. But um, I still think that Last Crusade, even though it's suggesting that maturation narratively, like you still, I don't know, there's still a, yeah. a childishness You, you still to reconnect with really your dad enjoyable. by riding horses through the desert and battling tanks, yeah. like pushing people out of Zeppelins. <laughs> like, yeah, you get to reconnect by almost being a child to a certain extent. You teach him to be childish. It's realizing your father is cool. There's the kind of dawning with the... Um, I, I, r- Remembering my Charlemagne when <laughs> when when he, he like um, when he shoes the, the, the um, exactly Richard Dulles because yeah, yeah. apparently Spielberg found that like he couldn't get seagulls to fly seagulls were too stubborn to fly when they were chased so he just got a bunch of dolls <laughs> should have got one of those gooses from Miracle on the Hudson <laughs> painted a bunch of blackbirds <laughs> white um, yeah yeah 
What are, what are, um, one of those um, one of those birds that tried to kill Sully. <laughs> Sully was like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's a very dramatic reading um, of of like the Eastwoods uh, Sully. <laughs> I want to see the version where like Tom Hanks is like, not today, Seagull, not today. <laughs> um, all right then and so in terms of like indiana jones and the last crusade is there anything jumping out of people anything we want to discuss anything that we haven't already um any elements that we think any scenes any action beats any moments any any aspect of the production we haven't talked about already i just i just love to add um there's great sense of humor in this there are a lot of really really funny bits i'm thinking about like the little trap door in the castle yeah that spins and the Nazis totally miss that they've spun into the room the first time and then they spin around again. <laughs> and they're like, like there's some great lines like, I didn't know you could fly a plane. Fly, yes. Land, no. Um, and there's some, yeah, and just like, there's great slapstick humor in it. Calling back to like old Hollywood, there's kind of a feel of that slapstick, you know, silent era of comedy in it. And it's so unashamed and unafraid to just be really, really silly with the humor so yeah i just love to add it's it's really funny as well as a lot of fun yeah and it's smart as well like like the, the, the uh like the going going back to like the silliness that d mentioned i love that there's like a lot at the signpost that has like berlin <laughs> venice <Yeah. laughs> yeah. um, but again like well, again, like the way in which spielberg like the, again it's it's a very simple thing and it's very easy to kind of miss but like spielberg's storytelling there where the camera just moves over to berlin to tell you that yes they're going to berlin as well like spielberg is like people tend to underrate him as like a director who's like skilled at communicating to audiences what they need to know and that kind of slapstick I, I, element he mentioned is absolutely it as well I like the smartness of it, like the 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 line from uh from Henry when he's he's like you you left just when you were becoming interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whereas, like yeah. you were just a boring child for like all that time, and then you started to kind of you know um, be the kind of person who I could have you know grown up conversations with, and and then you were off, like mm. you know well, after you learned there is... all your Greek. <laughs> There is in the background, though, that whole idea of the broken family there, isn't there? Because mom, mom's not around. Mom dies at a young age. Henry doesn't really want to be a father on his own. He doesn't really want to parent Indy. So he kind of leaves Indy to his own devices in many ways. And that line stayed very telling. He's only really interested in him when he can become a peer in many ways or somebody he can talk to about his interests. And this film is about him realizing that he does have he, that, that he does need that a son and he has a son and when he's almost it's that wonderful moment where the tank's gone over the edge and he goes i thought i lost you and it's genuinely that realization of i i love this kid and i i'm you know and it's it's lovely and i, I think it really resonates with me because i have i've had a long um i didn't see my father for 15 years after my parents divorced and there was a lot of sadness in that and a lot of and so for a long time when I would rewatch Last Crusade, it would really connect with me. We've now since got a relationship and it's and that's really nice over the last few years. But I think for anyone as well who has those kind of relationships, particularly with parents and, and particularly dads, I think this this film just connects. You can feel the the sadness of when you are having a strange relationship and then the warmth and the joy when that comes to back together at the end you know and you really feel that that they will have years and you know 
um, I don't want to spoil it for D, but <laughs> they do get a, some years to go, <laughs> right? You know, um, but um, but you you'd like to think that they had that relationship then, you know, as grown men, um, and that's really nice, and that is a very hopeful thing that really that resonates on that personal level. I think with this film. I mean, it is notable that, again, this is very Back to the Future and that, like, it's built, like, the key thing that, like, Bob Gale hit upon in writing Back to the Future was the idea that your parents are young and your parents are people, too. Like, because, like, one of the things that's clever about it is we point out you don't see Henry's face during that introductory sequence at the start. You just hear Sean Connery's voice. And I think it was Bohm, um, the, the writer of Lethal Weapon 2, who structured it so that, like, you don't see Henry Jones's face until 48 minutes into the film. So you feel his absence, like, narratively, and it, it's very cleverly done. And again, speaking to how this is arguably more constructed as a conventional movie than something like Raiders or something like Temple or something like Crystal Skull. Um, I, I do think that's something that stands uh, very much to the movie's credit. And I, I do, I like the idea of, like, Indy, like, it, it, Henry realizes that Indiana is important to him, and he realizes that, like, what Indiana does is important and cool, and, you know, kind of fun, which, again, is something Spielberg, I think, talked about in relationship to his father, was, like, one of his big things was trying to teach his father that what he did was important or mattered. And I think, like, many kids have that, where it's like, I've made a choice with my life, I need you to appreciate it. And I like that, like... It... Darren, no no parent is going to accept the podcast. I, Yeah, I know, I, I've reconciled myself to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> one day my dad will turn to me and go, you know, I really should do more of this podcasting. Um, but... He has on. been on. We've yeah. had, we have They're had my dad on. And, yeah. Yeah, um, but like, <laughs> I do think that there is like, and, and then you have the opposite, which is like Indy learning that his dad is actually interesting and fun and adventurous and playful. And yes, we could do without that being, oh, by the way, he totally slept with your girlfriend. Because uh, that's, that's <laughs> again, that's a very back to the future thing where it's also like, by the way, your parents totally had sex and with women who are possibly interested in you because these are also movies about that. And it's like, no, you can, those two things can be separate things. I like the weird sex <laughs> thing of Back to the Future. <laughs> We've learned a lot about Andrew I, in this episode. I, I, I feel yeah. like in Back to the Future was perhaps irrelevant in that it's statement. So, but It's because it's so weird. It's kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but my point is more that like you have Indy realizing that like his father is clever and resourceful and adventurous like he was, you know, like he was, that he gets part of that from himself. And I like the idea that it's 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 not it's not just Henry learning to love Indy. It's not just Indy learning to love Henry. It's the two of them learning to, to kind of accept each other, which I think is a very clever and important way of doing this. It's a very thing something you have to do very like it's I would argue this is better than Return of the Jedi because Darth Vader never, never does anything like that with Luke. Darth Vader never has a moment where he realizes Luke has done something important with his life and is like, well, well, maybe I should change. Um, instead, Luke is like, oh, my dad's dead now, so I guess I'll hold a bonfire and decide he was really a cool dude after all. Luke, um, <laughs> Luke, Luke never does a really bad uh, Darth Vader impression when he comes into the Death Star. He's like, <laughs> but they never go on a journey together, you know, yeah. to find the Holy Grail or whatever the space equivalent of yeah. that would be. So no, I, I think like. The holy Hot take. I think this is a yeah. kyber yeah, crystal. Of, um, yeah. I think this is a much better dad movie than any of the Star Wars movies. That is my controversial hot take. Yeah. Um, and I sound by it. All I'm right, great. then. Anything else we talk? Oh, sorry. Go. go I've ahead. got. 
No, no, I was just sorry. Cue me up, Darren. Okay. I've got one last thing. I've, oh, I can't I've, do it yeah. now. We're on. You put me on for four seconds. Yeah. All right. I think we're about wrapping up. Unless there's anything more we'd like to talk about. So, anybody? Uh, I've got one. Um, <laughs> oh, Tony. Uh, wow. Okay. I yeah. Unprecedented. What? Oh, Tony. <laughs> hey. Um, yeah. <laughs> which was just in relation to the Nazis, because obviously the Nazis are very colourful and silly here, even more than they were in Raiders, but. Um, I, I am always struck whenever I watch this about the scene in Berlin, which we mentioned earlier, where Indy actually meets Hitler, right? Now, I, that, 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 I always forget this until I watch it. I'm like, oh yeah. And then he signs the Grail diary because he thinks it's, it's in the middle of a Hitler rally and Indy comes face to face with Hitler. Now, there's two things. Number one, that is quite surprisingly yeah. tense within a film where the Nazis are colourful and silly when he faces Hitler and we all know who it is Hitler doesn't say a word he just writes in the book it's a, a remarkably b- bizarre but brilliant moment um, he has and I, chance- I also <laughs> he has a chance to kill Hitler <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I also uh, since in reading onwards I also did chuckle when uh, the guy who played Hitler in that Michael Sheard yes. who's a British character actor also in Star Wars and things like going back Grange Hill and all that stuff. He um he was interviewed not long before his death in 2005 and he said, oh, I'd love to come back for another Indiana Jones film. And I thought, <laughs> as Hitler? Like, <laughs> do you want to play Hitler again? Like, uh, and that just struck, what did you think that was going to be? <laughs> I think you know? they do some kind of Mad Max move with, um, oh, what's the name of the actor? He passed away recently. <laughs> He played a Morton Joe, well, remember, and then oh, he was also yeah. the villain in Mad Max. So maybe he'd be. Sorry, like, we talking about like a reverse situation yeah. where like Michael Sheard pops up as heroic. <laughs> um, <is> the- <laughs> he'd be the new villain. Um, maybe Indy versus uh, yeah Hitler. Well, I mean, okay, well, yeah. two two things. Just 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 Abraham on the- <laughs> what, 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 <laughs> What's the what's the opposite Adolf Linkler, the, the fellow from from um, Rick and oh, Morty. Yeah. <laughs> But we should note Michael Sheard has played Hitler three times in his career, so it's entirely possible that like he was like, yeah, make it an even four. Um, But he also, to be fair, played um, another character, Oscar Schumburg in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And we should point out that like Heinrich Himmler was played by Ronald Lacey, who played Toph, who you may remember as the creepy little SS dude Mm -hmm. uh, from the original Raiders as well. So I do like that. Yeah, Hitler's like, yeah, we got like very much typecast as Nazis. Uh, Michael Byrne, who plays Ernest Vogler, um, the brutal SS colonel, had also previously starred with Harrison Ford on Force 10 from Navarone, where he also, surprising nobody, played a Nazi. Um, so yeah. Can you imagine being told, like, you look like a Nazi and just getting cast as that over <laughs> yeah, and over? Yeah. It must be very, very You strange. have a certain energy. That's yeah. just the vibe that you give. Um, <laughs> I will give a shout out to Julian Glover as Walter Donovan, actually, who I really like. It's it, like I think it's it's yeah. a Glover's a fantastic actor. Like he's he's one of the greats of kind of British television and film. Obviously, he's been in stuff like The Empire Strikes Back. He's been in like Game of Thrones and stuff like that. And he did guest star yeah. in an episode of Doctor Who called The Crusade. So I do like that he comes back for the last Crusade. Uh, uh, but I think he's also really good here. He's also probably my favorite James Bond villain of the Moore era. Because he's the villain in For Your Eyes Only, which is the movie that Andrew mm. referenced earlier to bring it all full circle. Christatos. Um, yeah. See? Nice, nice bookend on top there. So, D, any other thoughts before we finish up? Anything you want to go want to say? Anything we haven't discussed already with regards to the last crusade? Um, no, no, 
not really. I just feel I, I feel bad for the Germans and the Russians sometimes because they're always the bad guys. You know, it, Russian seems to be the contemporary trend. And then it was more so Germans, well, uh, including Nazis, but particularly Nazis, <laughs> I suppose, and kind of the like kind the of 80s, um, yeah. 80s era yeah you had like obviously die just, hard and stuff, just feel yeah. bad for them sometimes like uh, see i'm engaged to a russian so i feel very kind of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not quite personally attacked but i'm like russians are not the evildoers well, of the world like even in nobody i saw the other week and i'm like oh of course it's another yeah. son of a russian oligarch is the evil one and f9 recently as well and john wick movies obviously so it's is, like, is oh. the villain in f9 russian i think he's just generic euro trash isn't he no, there's okay. a there is a, one of the yeah, villains okay. is Russian. What sort? Of, yeah, yeah. What sort of villain is your favorite? <laughs> like, is he a, kind of like an oligarch, a communist, or, or... <laughs> a communist? Does he own a yacht like Kenneth Branagh in Tennis? Like... He yeah. He would have been one of the bodyguards for uh, the little weaselly Russian kid in John Wick. <laughs> <I think. laughs> Pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Keanu Reeves like assassinates like, them all. So I feel like he could be the smart one who just puts <laughs> down his gun and walks away. He's like, yeah, I got, I got no beef with this. Um, <laughs> oh, I like that. The origin story. <laughs> <laughs> Dear, you'll be glad to know though that in in Temple of Doom, yeah. the villains are both Chinese and Indian, um, uh, and Indian. Oh, so, and- you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, just to balance it out a bit. It's a real twist that like the the um the good guys are, are, are British. <laughs> yeah. no, there's all, sorry, actually, there is sorry, always Tony. there's also always a twist sometimes that it was the Americans all along. That seems to feature a lot yeah. in movies as well. Uh, but I mean, I, like I watching this, yeah. like every time I watch it, there's a small scene where Walter Donovan kind of like kisses his wife goodbye and sends her back to the party. And part of me is just like, I want to know what her therapy sessions are going to be like for the rest of her life. Where it's like, oh, by the way, your husband wasn't only a Nazi collaborator. Um, he he also drank from the wrong cup and turned into like Doc Brown from Back to the Future before evaporating in front of her eyes. It's like, wow, that is going to be something to have to explain to your family. Poorly. What's, what's Back to the Future? Yeah. In, 50, in 50 years, this reference will make perfect sense to you. Um, yeah, and your kids will love yeah. it. <laughs> is that is that David Zemeckis? Yeah, yeah, it's your cousin. Um, tell your brother Bobby he's been looking for a new movie idea. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, so I think that about wraps it up. So what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners. It could be something they're enjoying at the moment, something related to the movie we just discussed, something completely random, just something that is bringing you joy at the moment. So to give Dee and Tony a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, the Venice scenes reminded me of Bellinis. Um, should have a uh, Bellini soon. They, 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 they originate from Harry's Bar in, in Venice, where for... for for a king's ransom, you can have a, a Bellini. <laughs> It'll only cost like 21 euros or something. Um, in terms of I stuff, mean, it's half the stuff, price of a VHS um, copy of like Last Crusade. In terms of stuff or things, um, I think uh, Parade's End is on Netflix. Uh, Rebecca Hall and Benedict is Cumberbatch, right? a, a great in it. Yes, yeah, yeah. Going back to kind of me, me, uh, like my fondness for, 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 for a female uh, villain in 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 fiction. Um, <laughs> Rebecca Hall, uh, apparently and... the greatest villain of them all. Um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
but um, other stopart things uh, play wise, I, I I read the real thing, uh, recently. Uh, so you you can you can read plays as well, <laughs> as we know from the leaving cert. But um, and another one that I'd recommend is Arcadia, um, and you can actually find I think I, I believe you can find both of those on Spotify. But when things open up again, I think I've seen Arcadia. A chance to kind of see some. Yeah. yeah, it's very good. Yeah. It was in it was in the gate. Yeah, a couple um, of years ago, as well as um, uh, the real thing uh, a, a few years ago in Dublin, and it was quite good. Um, and it it's it's kind of it. it I I feel like that Darren. I imagine you kind of enjoyed it because you like um, Nolan, where it's it's it it was it was very kind of complicated and um, structured, but also the. Uh, I think he has answered some of the criticisms of of not being politically engaged or not being emotionally engaged. I think with his with his, with, his, with his characters, because with the real thing, a lot of it is about kind of it's it's kind of autobiographical because it's 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 somebody um, uh, who's kind of above it all and and is learn learning learning to 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 engage with these things but it's also very kind of vulnerable in arcadia as well i always cry when 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 i um when i uh, watch that or when i listen to it on spot arcadia ego eh i recommend those yeah. um all right then and tony what would you recommend for listeners what are you enjoying at the moment uh i well i'm gonna go for a historical recommendation um if people want more connery with a great script churning out the comedy and the one-liners just watch the only good Michael Bay film, The Rock. Yes. Where he plays, where he plays John Mason. It's Bond. Well, he's basically he's playing, playing James Bond. Bond again. James, <laughs> it, he's playing Bond if Bond had been uh, c- captured by the Americans in like 19... After Goldfinger, and then he'd spent 30 years in jail. He's basically playing Bond. Um, and he's just having a ball opposite Nicolas Cage. Um, and it's got my, my favourite interaction where they have... A shootout. Connery's hanging from the ceiling, just about having survived. Nicholas Cage looks up and says, "Hey, you all right?" And Connery just turns and goes, "Yes, perfectly all right, you f- <laughs> idiot." Which is just the greatest <laughs> ever. Um, it's just great. Uh, so yeah, if you want more Connery, just cracking him out. Uh, you want to, uh, uh, among his best, check out The Rock. Um, and Dee, what would you recommend for listeners? Uh, yeah, I have a few. Actually, I'll add to the Sean Connery recommendations. And we mentioned this already in the podcast, but I did see The Untouchables recently. Um, at the time of recording, it's available on Netflix UK and Ireland. And yeah, I just saw it for the first time and really, really enjoyed it. I mean, Connery's kind of Irish <laughs> accent is a bit dodgy. But if you can ignore <laughs> that, if you can ignore that, it's, it's yeah, it's a lot. Um, yeah, I don't know, like it is, it is quite violent and stuff, but it's also like, more light-hearted than I kind of expected it so that was a funny one but yeah I just really liked it and then um if you're looking for something of an action adventure kind of feel although I suppose this is more maybe kind of mystery or detective but Lupin on Netflix is a really fun series it's just again got this like real kind of sense of like fun and like childishness and kind of almost sneakiness to it so i really really enjoyed that watch it in french with subtitles don't do the dubbing thing people you can read subtitles (laughs) that one inch barrier Um, 
exactly the one inch barrier uh, for reading also taking today's movie as a theme Steven Spielberg Nostalgia and the Light by Michael Koreski or Korsky, I'm not sure how to pronounce it but that's uh, I really enjoyed that book and got a lot out of it in terms of Steven Spielberg and there are basically a bunch of essays on like every single one of his movies that he's done and I just find it a really interesting kind of read in terms of exploring the themes of his works and stuff that kind of comes up over and over and and a bit kind of comparing it to what's going on in his life at the time so that's quite interesting and then for a new movie release I have to recommend Supernova starring Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci it is a gorgeous gorgeous movie I was like bawling crying by the end like it looked so ugly my face looked like it melted off I was crying so hard but it's a gorgeous beautiful love story um go see it on the big screen if you can and yeah it's a very tucciing movie i think really um (laughs) sorry um um, we should we should point out actually um i've just checked here uh juan colette sarah the director of jungle cruise has announced a new film it will be a sequel to one of his liam neeson action vehicles that andrew will be very interested in it's called non-stoppard sorry that was a long way to get to a terrible (laughs) terrible terrible one liner. i have have been saving that up all i figured that we it's like we had the two i couldn't bring them together i just I, we had the two elements i just couldn't make that was a yeah, joke it was. there wasn't it oh okay. actually actually if we're doing very quick uh callbacks to the stuff we said earlier i have to correct myself jake kazdan not jake johnson was the director i meant for the new uh jumanji movies and yeah i don't know where i got in my head that it was jungle cruise maybe it's well, they, the have they, yeah, they, have, they have a similar vibe yeah they have a similar vibe as well to be fair i yeah. think you're thinking yes. of Joe Johnson, I, I reckon. I think and, you've... And, yeah, that was oh, coming in. yeah, I and think And Joe Johnson, not yeah. to restart the yeah. podcast we just wrapped up, but Joe Johnson <laughs> like, is a director who is very heavily influenced by the Indiana Jones movies, like The Rocketeer yeah. in 1991. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even like Captain America, the first Avenger, like has like shout outs and homages. Like, while the Fuhrer digs for trinkets in the desert... Um, and so on and so forth um, because obviously it's a part of a shared universe and obviously General Ross will cameo in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull next week uh, just with a a third actor (laughs) played by him Um, All right, then for myself in terms of recommendations um, when I grew up there was the point and click uh, game I grew up with the LucasArts video games particularly the Indiana Jones ones and particularly the Last Crusade ones which were these kind of like puzzle games that you would play Um, I love those I played uh, like about 10 years ago I replayed Day of the Tentacle as well which is an original Lucas our point and click one oh. and yet very worth seeking out yes. you can find emulators online I think they are available to buy as well in various stores as kind of like nostalgic packages if you like them uh, give them a go I think they are, are absolutely well worth your time uh, but anyway so that, that about wraps it up we'll be back next week when we'll be wrapping up our Indiana summer um, the wonderful Tony will be joining us yet again to talk about the final film to date in the Indiana Jones cycle that is Indiana Jones the King of the Crystal Skull Steven Spielberg's 2008 follow up to this uh, until then where can we find you D watch up to uh yeah you can find me on twitter at uh oh my gosh i always forget if it's at dmalumby or at dear Malumbi. i should really know my own twitter handle no i'm pretty sure it's at dear Malumbi, and my username is dmalumby so that's d-e-i or d-r-e-m-o-l-u-m-b-y all one word you you never have to tweet yourself that's exactly <laughs> it that is the issue yes uh and tony what are you up to where can i find you uh check me out on Twitter at AJ Black Writer, uh, you'll find links to my website, my personal website, thetruthisinhere.co.uk, with lots of writing and um, my podcast network. We made this at WNT underscore network on Twitter. Um, check us out, see what else is going on. Perfect. Um, and we'll be back next week. You can follow us on Twitter, on SoundCloud, and Stitcher, wherever good podcasts are found. Take it easy, guys. Thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you again, Dean, for stepping in at the last minute. Thank you, Tony, for doing all three episodes to date. And presumably when you do the next week, we'll also thank you for that. Take care, guys. Bye.